Welcome to Crafting Solutions to Conflict, a podcast exploring how to deal effectively with conflict, actual and potential, good and bad. Engaging guests discuss a range of insights, and I cover tips and topics based on my 35-year fascination with conflict and my experience helping people with it. I'm your host, Jane Bettle, and my goal is to share a perspective on conflict that is both practical and positive. My guest today is Nathan Dungan. We talk about money, habits, values, and well-being and how Nathan works with young adults and their families to better understand the dynamic between trusts and beneficiaries, prenups as a part of an intentional preparation for life as a couple, and how to engage multiple generations to share, understand, and create their money stories. Hello, Nathan, and thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Jane. Great to be with you. Well, I am looking forward to this because I know that you have shared some really interesting things in conferences I've been able to attend, and I am delighted to be able to share your thoughts a little more broadly to folks who are not necessarily in that world or who have not had a chance to hear you directly. So let's start by having you tell us a bit about your background, how you came to be doing the work you're doing today. Sure. So I, to a degree, blame my parents, <laughs> or I should say, <laughs> I should say I credit my parents. What I mean by that is as a young person, so I'm the youngest of four uh, children. And when I was growing up, my parents had a real comfort and frequency in mm. talking to us about money and values. Great. Right. So that was just kind of our normal rhythm in our family. And as I came to learn later in life, not a normal rhythm right, right. <laughs> for families in that space. And so kind of fast forward, I ultimately went to work out of college for my mother out on the East Coast outside of Philadelphia, who had a financial advising business, right? And so I was one of about 35 people that worked for her. And early in my days as a financial advisor, my mother um, really encouraged me to think, you know, use both my kind of qualitative skills and quantitative skills to kind of address issues related to money um, as in my interface with clients. Yes. And it was early on that in doing that, this was kind of the early 90s, that a, an educator, Sally, who I came to know a little bit, she and I went to lunch. She asked me to go to lunch and, because she wanted to talk about money. And when we were there, she gave me a little bit of her money story. And then she had a request for me. And she said, would you be willing to craft an interactive learning experience for families in the community? Because as I look around, I don't see a lot of places that families can go to learn about money yes. and particularly learn about money through a space that would um, encourage them to think about their values, not to connect values with money choices. So it was a what I thought was a one-off, Jane, for 
parents, even some grandparents, and also adolescents. Well, actually, no, this was fourth through sixth graders. The adolescent piece, excuse me, comes later. So fourth through sixth graders. And then it was just fascinating to see how those young people were engaged in the topic, you know, how keen they were to be in the space. You know, they really were quite honest about what they thought about money and and all the things that come with that. The parents were a little anxious, I think, about maybe what their kids were going to say. But at the end of the day, the parents were and the grandparents were super appreciative for it. So I thought it was a one-off. But then something just inside of me kind of clicked. And I just became real curious about this, you know, what I kind of define as my vocational hypothesis, which is who or what is influencing our money habits and choices, mm-hmm. one. Two, how is it impacting our well-being? Because it is. And then three, you know, why should we care about that? And so that really began to inform my ultimate sort of curiosity around that space. I ultimately moved back to the Midwest where uh, my wife is from Minnesota and uh, we live in the Twin Cities and have a daughter who's now 13. And I was working as a VP then at that time, recruited to come and use some of this kind of knowledge that I had become known for Mm -hmm. with families. And then the company was going through a merger at the time. And it was really interesting work, but it was a lot of meetings. And then ultimately, I was wanted to get back to this issue, which is the hypothesis that I just mentioned, because that was really where my passion was. And so I stepped away from that, spent a year working on a book. And then I launched our company and the early 2000s called Share, Save, Spend, mm-hmm. and then everything from there. So that's a little bit of the backstory that kind of got me to this place. And then that ultimately, when I stepped away, it started our company and created tools to help families have more intentional conversations about money and values. That really led me into a lot of speaking. It led me to um, consulting work, which I do a lot of now with family offices around the country. And so the space that I would say I really focus on is when family offices are particularly focusing on generational transition, you know, that's where I often do my best work, right? Because they have a thing they're trying to do to educate and equip and kind of get them up to speed and understand what it means to be a beneficiary and then maybe serve on a family council and all those things. So that's really the space where fast forward to today, that's really where I, I spend the majority of my time. What an important place to spend your time. Oh, my goodness. When I think about how difficult it is for so many of us to talk about money at all and then to connect it with other important things, very, very challenging for us. Yeah, indeed. And I think um, you see, I see in my work with families in that space, kind of the state of the family office has been, and this is more and more is coming out about the modernization, if you will, of the family Mm -hmm. office and just thinking about that. And what I would say is that it's fairly normal and typical that family offices have been heavily weighted for the transactional sort of execution, right? right? The legal things, the money management, the tax things. I mean, all of those things are very important things. And though increasingly they're beginning to say yes and Yes. Mm-hmm. Important to do those things. And it's also really important to be paying attention to the development of both the individuals and the collective whole and specifically, you know, their well-being. Because my goodness, if the well-being of our family members are not whole and thriving, what are we doing? Absolutely. Right. So that's 
again, I think as that continues to evolve in a good way, I think it's helping families think more broadly and, mm-hmm. and more intentionally about kind of the holistic sense of what does it mean to really attend to the needs of the family beyond what I would say is your more traditional or typical transactional needs. And I can imagine that there are plenty of people in a more traditional, I'm not going to quite say old fashioned, but I'm tempted to say old fashioned (laughs) family office approach who have no idea how to have this kind of conversation, how to raise it. Everything about it says, oh no, alarm bells, maybe I'll just ignore it. So I would hope that they see you as a fantastic resource who can, yes, Nathan knows how to do this and it doesn't make him break out in hives. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, and I think that's a really good observation, Jane, because, yeah, it can be daunting because it's, you know, likely pushing you out of your comfort zone, right? right? And when we do that, I mean, our prehistoric brain, part of our body says, run, (laughs) run the other direction. Don't do this. Don't do that. (laughs) Oh, you're in fight or flight mode. But the interesting thing is I just, there's such a great example. So just two weeks ago, I, with a local family office here in the Twin Cities, who has been around for you know, they're on generation five, you know, so they've been around for some time. They are just now stepping into this issue. And what I mean by this issue is they're really going to be addressing some really needed generational transition. They're not a huge family, but they're significant when you get down into five generations, right? And they have really been just wonderfully curious about you know this topic and as a matter of fact just had their annual family meeting here in town in the twin cities and spent a day and a half really digging into this and one of the cool things was i did some coaching for gosh it would be the fifth generation did some coaching for them because they're really now stepping into some Mm -hmm. more leadership roles in the various committees of the family So coaching them to then be in front of the family during the family meeting and take some leadership roles. And that was so fantastic to see, you know, new voices. And they also, though, one of the things I do typically on the front end of my work with family offices, I do work around well-being. Uh And I really want them to use it as a kind of a framework from which they can think about, you know, their current state as well as a future state um, as they think about future generations. So they were just really game to be in that space together and did some wonderful interactions with each other at a much deeper level than they had ever really done before at a family meeting. And they had, you know, again, as you might imagine, some trepidation around that. Absolutely. But it really turned out well and they were they were just so appreciative of this ability because they're they're at this a bit of a crossroads. Like, do these four kind of branches of this family are they going to stay together? They need to determine. You know, in the next bit of time, couple of years, two three years, are they going to stay together as a operating kind of family office, or are they going to kind of split off and go their own way? And I said, well, whatever the answer to that question might be, it's really important that they know each other yes. and understand each other, and what are their needs and goals and values and and then from there, they can make, I posited, a more you know informed decision mm-hmm. of what their ultimate kind of decision should be. So, But it was a way to begin to introduce both get them sort of in it and yep. then also in, in new voices elevating in the family. And also, though, 
a construct that they can use to begin to think about, again, present and future. Absolutely. And I hear in what you're describing a recognition of the importance of the family as a family. We can be a happy, connected family, and maybe we stay together in the family office and maybe we don't, but we can still be a family. And that part is very important. And as you say it, and I feel like this is so important in my work, the idea of, well, we're doing this partly to address this current issue. And in my world, it's generally a negative issue, but not always, almost always. But it also is a question of how will you be the best family that you can be in the future? Because other decisions will come up. In your case, how do we stay together if we choose not to stay together in the family office? If we are together in the family office, how do we recognize that we are different people? We have different branches, and that's not something that we need to be guilty about. That's just human nature. I love that idea that this is a foundation for the future for these uh, people. It's really well said about your observation around, you know, conflict obviously does show up or can show up. And what they're trying to do is get ahead of that. Yeah, They're not naive in thinking that this will be conflict free. But what they are trying to do, though, is by deepening their relationships, by better understanding everybody's come from, you know, where am I coming? Where are you coming from? Here's where I'm coming from. That they can see that there are enough commonalities in addition to kind of the traditional kind of financial measures and other things that they want to be thinking about. Are there enough things here where they see value in staying together? Yes. Always as a family together. (laughs) But this is more about kind of the business side of staying together as a family office. Right, right. Well, I think it's so interesting to hear you talk about a generation stepping forward taking on some of these roles, learning how to speak in front of their elders, perhaps, and a group where everyone, of course, cares about each other, we hope, but also there's a lot on the line sometimes. I'm interested in your work with these younger people, with these 20-somethings, 30-somethings. How do they come to you, and what are the messages that have been rattling around in their brain that work for them, that you find don't work for them, and you want to try to tweak a little bit. Yes. A couple things that really come often come to the surface that sort of yield an interaction with, with me and the work that we do at our firm. So one is around a marriage. Yeah. So this is where a family member is getting married, and there's discussion, debate, <laughs> sometimes not <Yes>. debate, <laughs> on things like, up agreements. You're getting one. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm yeah. not. Yes. yes, you are. No, I'm not. So that will often trigger a conversation and or, you know, an exploration around, okay, if indeed it is, you know, a thing that the family feels is important and they need to do, is there a way we can do it so that it honors and gives voice and choice to both people in that relationship. Mm -hmm. Because as you can imagine, there's often fiscal unequals in terms of wealth and the the money. And then that can really compromise, potentially compromise, you know, if that happens to be often the married end, it can put them in a really tough spot. Absolutely. And also though, the lineal family member, it can put them in a tough spot because, you know, the 
maybe it's being sort of almost dictated to them. Oh, this is what you have to do. The so, ultimate rock and hard place. The rock is yeah, no, right. perhaps my father or my father's attorney. Yeah. And then the hard place yeah. is this person I love and want to spend my life with. Uh Oh, right. So after seeing this kind of phenomena sort of just continuing to unfold in families, I felt like I like to look at these things and it, my brain looks at it kind of like a puzzle to say, okay, it's too often, Jane, it was what I was seeing is that the prenup was the thing yeah. in the pre-marriage, you know, kind of run up. And that just had a ton of negative consequences and some immediate and some really mm-hmm. long lasting. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so that's not great. So how do we flip this so that, okay, maybe a prenup needs to be executed, but what if it's a thing? Yes. Not the thing. Yeah. And so then it was designing a what I describe as our pre-marriage onboarding process, mm-hmm. where it's really a series of conversations and learning opportunities for this couple, you know, away from the families, away from, but not excluding the attorneys that might be representing each of them, but where we get down layers deeper around their money stories yes. and what values they have and how do they, okay, they, this is an action they may need to take together, but how can they do it in a way that honors both of them and honors what they're trying to do together? Yeah. And so it, again, it still means that they may execute a prenup agreement, which by the way, I, I'm probably more of a fan of than less of a fan of uh-huh. because it creates definition and yes. knowns. They, and they have to talk about it. <laughs> And they have to talk about it really and because, to, wait a minute, you see things that way? I had no idea. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and I've just seen a lot of real benefit. And speaking of conflict, right, I actually believe it helps them develop some muscle, yeah. if you will, to be able to be in some of these tougher, some at times conversations around these things, but do it in a way where they're able to honor and listen to each other, mm-hmm. right? So the outcome I have seen be really terrific. Yeah. Now not without some challenge and yeah. some bumps in the road. I think that's great. It's just an important way. So that's yeah. one thing. One thing that I'm hearing in your description is it's a context. It's, this is, as you say, not the only thing. This is the whole piece of, we are welcoming this person into our family. And yes. this person feels I am being welcomed to this family. Then there are aspects to that. And certainly we know about some families who were terrific about that particular rite of passage of of joining us, I am reminded of an estate attorney who said to me a long time ago now that the family should be, if they ever think they are going to want to have prenups for anyone joining the family, that's a conversation to be having with young people long before there is a candidate. Yes. Because it takes that pressure off the person in the middle who honestly can say, This has nothing to do with you personally. I knew my family would want this before I met you. Yes. What can be more persuasive than what was just said? Of course, it's not about you. It's about the family and the way the family views money, et cetera. But as you say, we don't all, um, I'm thinking back to the idea that in your family, as you were growing up, the normal thing was, it's okay to talk about money. Yes. Yeah. Not too many families certainly talk about prenups well in advance. (laughs) <laughs> no, definitely not. And I think this gives them an on-ramp, yeah. you know, to work their way into the conversation, yeah. right? Yeah. So, you know, there's a series of four topics that we step into. 
The first topic is around money and the role it plays in your lives. Mm -hmm. And we have some things we do with that. The second is around family stories from each of their families of kind of origin. And then the third topic is around getting grounded in money basics Mm -hmm. and just some very practical things that they're going to want to be thinking about leading up to marriage. And then the fourth is, okay, so what is this prenuptial thing? And then how does it play out? Right. So we developed through some research that we had done with families, parents and adolescents. There's that reference to adolescents back in the around 2010, 12, we had done a two year long research project, Jane, with parents and adolescents, because we wanted to understand, can you impact the trajectory of how they use money, think about money, and more specifically, their well-being? Okay. Can you meaningfully impact and shift that? Or is it just kind of what will be, will be, right? So for two years, along with a behavioral psychologist, Dr. Tim Kasser, we had a randomly assigned control group of parents and adolescents who received no intervention. And then the other half did. And then I led three deep dive learning sessions with them over the course of about 14 months. We studied them for two years to kind of see what would happen up against the, you know, the control group. And as it turns out, we were able to demonstrate that you can uh, meaningfully impact when you lean into this and commit to Mm -hmm. some conversations, some work together as a family, you can hugely impact because what what we know is happening is that materialism compromises well-being. It erodes well-being, right? right? Very Very directly. And particularly for young people, because they're, the executive functioning going on in their brain isn't fully mm-hmm. formed. And so it's a phenomenal time for kind of the marketing consumer culture to just really impress, <laughs> oh, yeah. right? And so you can imagine you you add a lot of zeros into that with families who have resources that can be really, really challenging. But what we found, though, is that by some intentional work together, being in community with other families, other family members not necessarily your own family members, but other people similar ages, it can be really helpful and supportive as a way to learn and grow together. It's this adage I have of learning with and from each other, mm-hmm. right? And so after the two years, the intervention group, I mean, their well-being measures were climbing and their wow. their uh, cool. materialism measures were dropping and the control group was the exact opposite. Oh boy. Materialism yeah. measures still climbing, you know, and well-being dropping. So I say that because, you know, within families and particularly family where families where there's wealth, to your point, getting upstream in some of this stuff is mm-hmm. really important. Mm-hmm. So when you said talking about these things years ahead of time, right? Yes. And, you know, this pre-work leading up to a marriage, you know, I really tell families optimally we would have a year, yeah. a year right. before yeah. a wedding so you can dive into this stuff unpack it, get after it, and then do what needs to be done without the stress and the time sitting there just ticking away at you, which can really compromise it. Absolutely. So I'm wondering if families are surprised by the results of this research, if they think, oh, no, it's all hopeless. So why would we bother? It's already baked in. Or are they willing to say, oh, okay, I didn't really give that a lot of thought, but I'm not surprised by that. Well, yeah. And, and so from that research, we use that as a springboard then mm-hmm. to create what we have now, this online, this virtual learning platform called Money Sanity You. 
So money, sanity, you. And then that's the resource that we use then when we do this onboarding work with families right around pre-marriage stuff. We use that platform to help the second issue, which is begin to educate and equip beneficiaries who are coming of age within family systems and where there's really complex financial structures and they're trying to navigate this, be in a relationship or maybe a marriage, (laughs) have kids, and it can be really daunting. And so it's a way to be able to get them up to speed, give them some working knowledge of some Mm -hmm. of these various things so that, you know, within these families, they can really view it as a a learning community where they, because wealth can create such isolation that this, we're trying to do the exact opposite. We want to pull them together, help them help each other, create a space where they can help Mm -hmm. each other because there can just be terrific learning in that space. Yeah. And I think uh, certainly in my work, the idea of normalizing right off the bat, that this is not easy. Uh, how could it be easy? There's a lot we all go through. And as yes. you say, the developmental realities of age, we don't have it all figured out before we're 25. I don't know. Most of us don't have it figured out before we die, I guess. But right. it's so hard. And I think easy sometimes for folks to think, well, why should this be hard? We are very fortunate. We should be able to just figure all this stuff out. And what's the big deal? But being able to learn with and from others sounds like a wonderful antidote to that isolation, as you say. Yeah, most definitely. And again, for families, it can be difficult when you're in generational transition. Mm, yeah. It can be difficult to let go right. and to you know, begin to quiet your voice so that new voices can emerge, right? Because I often talk to families, you know, particularly as beneficiaries, we often are called in to help families um, structure trust policy so that beneficiaries can have some voice in how this thing plays out. Is it done with them or is it done to them? Exactly, yeah. And so thinking about how do you give them both voice and choice within this space of how they interface with the family. Because when you, when you're a person and someone's just telling you, yep, this is the way it is, you know, you don't really have any voice in it. I mean, that can be very challenging. And as you might imagine, really lead to a lot of conflict. And so in order to help them navigate that and view it for what it is, but also give this rising generation an opportunity to have a seat at the table, if you will. Yes. It's just essential right. uh, to to honor them and to give them voice. And Absolutely. so that's kind of the second thing, which is, again, equipping them in a way that they feel um, like their voice A is being heard and honored. And then it's also where they see a path like, oh, they do want me at the table, yes. right? They want me there. And that's... And you and I both know, Jane, that's not an easy thing to navigate. No. It's just not. No. But this is very hopeful, Nathan. Some very specific ideas that are, on the one hand, specific, but also universal. So many families, almost all, are going to face these sorts of things. I enjoy hopeful ideas. (laughs) Having said that, I know that there are more hopeful ideas that you could share with us, but time is flying right on by. 
So I will ask you to tell listeners where they could reach you and learn more about your work. Sure. Best place would be um, at our website. You can learn more at sharesavespend.com. And uh, you can learn more about our work and some of the tools we have, like I talked about Money Sanity U. And yeah, any questions easily directed to me right, right through there. No problem. Okay, terrific. And I will, of course, put that information in the show notes so that people can find it more easily. Well, thanks again, Nathan. So much good information. And as I said, hopeful. My pleasure, Jane. Great to talk with you today. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Crafting Solutions to Conflict podcast, please tell a friend, share it, leave a rating or review. When you spread the word, more people have a chance to enjoy the show. You can also sign up for new weekly episodes on your favorite app. Whatever setting works best for you, and it's free. You don't need to pay to listen. You can also find the show at CraftingSolutionsToConflict.com. Comments or ideas? Let me know. Until next time, I'm Jane Bettle.